Welcome to the Countries for Kids podcast from Case of Adventure. I'm Karen and I'm so excited that you're listening today. I'm going to be reading from A Clash of Swords in Scotland from our Scotland Adventure book. To find out more, go to caseofadventure.com. I'm reading from chapter four. The following morning, the girls were woken by the sound of horses whinnying from outside their window. The stable hand was taking the horses for their morning walk. Rain jumped out of bed and crossed to the window where sun was streaming in through the slats in the shutter. She threw open the shutters and looked out into the picturesque walled garden of the castle with its large fountain, pond and colourful flowers. What a fabulous place to wake up in, she exclaimed to Libby. Is it morning? Libby responded groggily. Yes, sleepyhead, she glanced at her watch. It's after eight already. Mom and Tiffany appeared in the doorway. Good morning, girls. She gave them each a kiss. Time to get dressed and go down for breakfast. I've just woken the boys. We all slept so long, I guess the long flight finally caught up with us. I feel great this morning, Ren told her and Mom smiled. Glad to hear it. Breakfast in the castle dining room was quite an experience. The room was huge and intimidating. I've always wanted to eat at one of these long tables, Libby remarked. We always see them in movies. At least we're all sitting at one end and not some of us on this end and some of us there, Rome pointed to the other end. Ian walked into the dining hall. Welcome to a castle breakfast. I thought you deserved to eat in the formal dining room, he said in a teasing voice, grinning round at them. A footman came to greet them, placing napkins on their laps and offering them tea or orange juice. A server with white gloves wheeled in a trolley laden with platters of food, which were covered with silver cloches. A wonderful array of delicious aromas wafted up to their noses. The children's eyes were wide with all the choices. The waiters wheeled the trolley around the table, allowing each of them to choose the items they liked and then dishing them elegantly onto their plates. I won't forget this breakfast for a while, Rome commented. Afterwards, everyone gathered what they would need for the day. The van with Dad driving followed Ian's car to fetch Janet from her flat nearby. Janet waved hello as she hopped into Ian's car, and they set off for the 45-minute drive across to St. Andrew's Castle. The ruined castle lay on a rocky outcrop overlooking Castle Sands Beach. It was a fascinating place with underground tunnels, passageways and dungeons. Ian and Janet met them in the parking lot and after exchanging hugs and greetings, they walked together towards St. Andrew's Castle entrance. How is your night in Weems Castle? Janet asked Wren. Any scary experiences? Wren laughed. Not really, it was lots of fun. I forgot I was in a castle and I was surprised when I woke up this morning. I had a battle with a suit of armour in the night, Jake told her. My, my, and who won? I did. Then I went back to bed. Jake skipped ahead to join the others as Janet and Wren laughed at his antics. Ian turned to the family to tell them a bit about the town and the castle. Many believe that the Apostle Andrew came to Scotland in the first century. The town was named after him and also the castle, Ian told them. A guide snapped to attention and saluted Ian as they walked past, looking surprised to see the troop of children accompanying him. Having the future Earl of Weems as our tour guide is pretty cool, Rome thought to himself. Over the years, the castle has served many purposes. 
Wealthy bishops of the Catholic Church used to live here before the Reformation in Scotland. It was used as a prison as well as a fortress to protect the town's people. If an enemy came to the town, the people would flee inside the castle. Did you know Lot in the Bible had a pet flea? Jake told Libby. He didn't, Libby replied. He did. It says that God told Lot to take his wife and flee from the city. Libby and Jake giggled at each other as they walked on until they became thoroughly absorbed with exploring the fascinating castle, walking over bridges with dark wood railings and up into a huge stone tower with a narrow curved stairway. They could see the ocean through gaps in the stone wall and pretty white flowers dotting the castle lawn far below. At the top of the tower there was a breathtaking panoramic view of the city. They could see vast stretches of land, grey buildings with red roofs and large patches of green grass. Ian continued telling them stories from the history of the castle. During the wars of Scottish independence, the castle was destroyed and then rebuilt. It changed hands between the Scottish and the English many times. After the Battle of Bonnock Burn involving William Wallace, it was taken for Scotland, but then recaptured by the English 15 years later. There was a three-week-long siege after which the Scottish took it back and destroyed it so that the English could not use it again. Lairds of Fife, like my ancestor John Weems, were asked to help defend the castle. What was it like during the siege, Rome asked. The enemy armies surrounded the castle and no one was allowed in or out of it. No food or water could be brought in. They used weapons like the trebuchet to fire huge rocks against the castle and the ballista, which is like a giant crossbow, to shoot arrows lit with fire. Eventually the enemies breached the castle and captured everyone. The remains of the castle are a portion of the south wall here, which encloses a square tower, the dungeon, the kitchen, and best of all, the underground mine and countermine tunnels. Would you like to explore those? Yes, the children were very enthusiastic. What are the mines? Libby asked what everyone wanted to know. The mines and countermines are dark tunnels which have been hewn in the wet rock. They were dug years ago by enemies trying to weaken the castle during a siege and then by the castle inhabitants who were trying to stop them. One group would have been digging in and the other digging out. They walked down long, winding, narrow stairways towards the dungeon and mine tunnels. Dad read to them from a plaque on the wall. Many times in its history this castle was a prison. The dungeon was a dark and airless rock pit. During and after the Scottish Reformation, Catholics and Protestants in turn were imprisoned in the terrible conditions of the dungeon. John Knox wrote, many of God's children were imprisoned here. That's so sad, Wren commented. It seems that so many people who weren't even criminals were imprisoned. Yes, and even executed, said Ian. We'll see later the spot where George Wishart, the Protestant preacher, was burnt at the stake. Let's head down to the mine and countermine tunnels first, though. He led Dad and the children down into the mine tunnels, while Mom and Janet stayed behind to chat. The tunnels were very low in places, and the adults had to bend their necks and duck as they walked carefully along. Ian tried to give them a picture of what it would have been like. Nowadays we have lights and railings to make it easier to walk, but back then it would have been pitch dark, wet, muddy and slippery. Men in the front would have had shovels and picks chopping away with rock and soil, and men behind them would have had, used, had to use buckets to remove it from the tunnel. There was not a lot of room and not much space to carry weapons. When the enemy who were digging the mines into the castle 
and the castle defenders who were digging the countermines reached each other, they would have dropped spades and unsheathed swords. They would have had to fight in confined areas with knives and fists to try to defeat each other. Perhaps they would have used their spades to bonk each other on the head, Jake commented. Don't joke, said Wren. I think it must have been awful. Yes, said Dad. Mayhem and slaughter in the wet, messy darkness. It would have been hard to know who was an enemy and who was a friend. Exactly, Ian agreed. Soberly, they continued down the tunnel. The men on the outside would have to dig to try and bring down the walls under what they thought was a seam or a weak place. They hoped the walls would sink into the holes and would prop them up as they went. When they were ready, they would set the props on fire and run like mad so that the walls would fall. It sounds very difficult, said Wren. I can't imagine how they did it without bulldozers and other machines. You're right, it would have taken a long time. The people inside the castle knew what the enemy were up to and started digging the countermines to try to stop them, Ian answered. The mines were rediscovered and opened to the public in 1879, more than 300 years after they were dug. As they walked along, they heard the singing of Scotland the Brave coming from deep inside the tunnels. Ian smiled. The Scottish people are very patriotic and this is a favourite spot for singing that anthem. Wren was very glad to ascend into the fresh air again after the dark mustiness of the tunnels. The boys and Libby told Mom and Janet all about their adventure. Sounds exciting, Mom told them. We've been enjoying the sunny view from here. They walked together towards the castle courtyard. Brick lettering with the initials of George Wishart marked the spot where he had been burnt at the stake. Ian told them, George Wishart was a great Scottish preacher who influenced a young man called John Knox in the early 1500s. When George Wishart went around preaching, John Knox would stand behind him with a sharp sword to protect him. Why did he need protecting? Jake wanted to know. Because he was at war with the Catholic Church, he wanted to change things and make the Bible available to all people instead of just the priests. One sad day, George Wishart was summoned to a St. Andrew's castle where he knew he'd be killed. John Knox wanted to go with him and protect him, but Wishart told him not to. He said, one life sacrificed for the Lord is enough. Wishart was burnt at the stake here in front of the castle walls. Do you remember when we saw John Knox's house and his gravestone in the parking lot in Edinburgh? Dad asked the children. Oh yes, Rome responded and the others nodded. Did you know, Janet told them, that an old Bible belonging to John Knox was recently found at the library at the University of Glasgow. Just last year, in fact, there was an article written by a librarian and published on the library's website. Wow, that must be an old Bible, Mom exclaimed. Yes, it was written in Hebrew with the Latin translation next to it. It was published in Switzerland during the Reformation. It was an Old Testament. Why was it just the Old Testament? asked Jake. Dad answered, I think they probably printed them in two volumes back then because they would have been very large and thick. The Old Testament would have been in Hebrew and the New in Greek. Printing these Bibles was an amazing accomplishment, Janet told them. Every page would have needed to be typeset by a skilled engraver and typesetter. The letters were very intricate. The Bible they found is very significant because the title page is signed by John Knox. Imagine the excitement of that librarian when she discovered that they had a Bible that belonged to Knox. She was probably jumping up and down with joy, Jake grinned. How did the university get the Bible? asked Libby, intrigued. It was apparently part of the old collection of Bibles that was left to them by a Bible collector when he died, 
Janet said. Ian turned to the children. Let's find a shady place to rest. You've learned lots of Scottish history in your two days here with us. They wandered out onto the green lawn surrounding the castle and stood under some trees. The view of the ocean was spectacular. It's surprisingly hot today, Janet remarked. Yes, Jake flopped onto the grass, fanning himself with his hand, and panted. Tiffany and Libby joined him. How about some ice cream, asked Ian. My treat, I see an ice cream cellar over there. Soon they were happily enjoying the icy treats and feeling a lot cooler. Ian, do you think the missing Dirk could be hidden here at St. Andrew's Castle? asked Rome. It's possible, lad, but we'd need a clue to know where to start to look. This castle is connected to my family. We have to figure out the clues, Wren exclaimed. The diary page is the place to start. Yes, I agree, Ian told her. I've not been able to find a clue there, though. Libby looked up in surprise as a castle guard in highland dress walked past them, speaking in a very loud voice to his companion. I wonder what he's in trouble for, wondered Jake. The number one trick for speaking like a Scotsman is, you got to sound angry. Ian raised his voice as he said it, and Tiffany jumped in surprise, and they all laughed. Dad told him it was time to head back to Edinburgh. The family said goodbye to Ian and Janet, thanking them for the wonderful visit, and headed back to their van. They talked animatedly about St Andrew's Castle and the mystery of the missing Dirk as they made their way back to Castle Street Guest House. That's all for now. See you next time. <laughs>